I am very excited about my interview today with Peter Schout. Peter is a top lawyer known for some of the highest profile criminal cases in the Netherlands. Most of our listeners will know Peter from his role on the Marengo process, where he took on the life-threatening um, mission of defending the Crown Witness. But Peter is not just a criminal defense lawyer. He is also the author of Trial by Media, uh, a diehard entrepreneur who has not one but several high-tech companies under his belt. He's also the producer of the television program and game Lingo in several countries and the founder of a number of law firms. I know Peter from his ambassadorship uh, on the more progressive cannabis policy when he launched Project C, also known as Project Cannabis, in order to legalize production of cannabis in the Netherlands. Hi, Peter. Well, Hello, Ina. I must say, wow, what a rich and dense background. But if my sources are not failing me, there's one thing. You've done a lot of things in your life, but there's one thing that you haven't done, and that is magic mushrooms. Can I offer you some? <laughs> yeah, now... Uh, I, I will take it out so that your podcast viewers can, can see what it is. I myself, I don't use psychedelics um, or uh, hard drugs, uh, uh, but I uh, sometimes do uh, smoke a uh, joint. Although um, my uh, daughter uh, has forbidden me to smoke it. She says that I should use a vaporizer, so she gave one for my uh, birthday. And uh, for me... This is a, a pleasure that is bigger than using, for instance, hard liquor, mm. uh, especially when you do it uh, like uh, in, in uh, controlled in the sense of um, once a month. Uh, and uh, liquor, of course, is more dangerous for your health and cigarette smoking is more dangerous for your health. So I believe that that cannabis in itself is a, a very safe uh, means of pleasure, uh, a soft drug uh, to use. Well, I think you've heard of this research from RDV where they showed that actually alcohol stands on the top list of the most dangerous, most addictive substances, where, whereas cannabis and psychedelics are way below that. Yeah. yeah, plus, which is very important already for, I think, over 60 years, there is a misunderstanding about that cannabis would be a gateway drug for harder drugs. And hard drugs, while it is actually alcohol that is the gateway drug mm. and, and not uh, cannabis. There is no uh, concrete and sufficient evidence in the science that cannabis is a gateway drug. Mm. Uh, also, of course, the social effects of cannabis are totally different than those of alcohol. I sometimes make a joke by saying that give four uh, aggressive guys uh, a, a lot of uh, beers in the evening and they might go home and beat their wives, but uh, give four aggressive guys uh, a, a, a few joints to smoke in the evening and they will form a uh, band together to make music. Hey, speaking of bands and four guys, well, actually it's three in these cases, I have some inside intel which tells the story of a lawyer, um, a politician, general practitioner, coming together one evening, smoking one fat joint together, and in that haze of the cannabis, coming up with the brilliant idea, hey, why not join forces and together launch a project, which is the, the baby, your baby, Project C, um, Project Cannabis, uh, how do you plead defendant? Do you plead guilty or innocent? Now, this is a myth 
Uh, so uh, we did came together once to uh, smoke a joint uh, when uh, we were um, uh, giving an end interview to uh, a documentary maker, Frans Brumette, a very good one, yeah, I've been... uh, which has been broadcasted on national TV. Yeah, we... So it is definitely no secret that, that I smoked a joint on national TV and I'm totally not ashamed of that. Again, I think that ah. the reason to do that was also because I want the stigmatization and criminalization of, of the soft drug cannabis to uh, be uh, eradicated. Yeah. Um, but when we uh, came to the idea, it's different because we came to the idea because I already believe for a long time that it is very good to legalize uh, cannabis in a country. And that in the Netherlands, where we didn't legalize it, this is a, a, a mistake. A lot of people think in the world that in the Netherlands cannabis was legalized. That's yeah. not true. It was like uh, 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 regulated in a system that, that uh, allowed uh, people to buy uh, uh, cannabis at the front door of a, what they called coffee shop. Because yeah. you couldn't drink any alcohol there. Yeah. But at the backside... To supply these coffee shops, it was illegal to buy. So it's a very weird system. And um, I'm very um, much against that system. One of the main reasons is that it uh, creates the, the mix of underworld and upper world. Because now people who are decent people running a coffee shop and actually do something legal... Uh, 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 are at the back door have to meet criminals to get supplied. And that, I think, is already dangerous. Doesn't um, make sense. Yeah, and also, I, I tell it often in this way, if at uh, your party at home, uh, there will be somebody who owns a coffee shop and he uh, tells stories about everything that happens there, nobody of the party will walk away. They will all stand around him and listen to him and make fun and are interested how that goes. Yeah. But if at your party somebody is going to talk about how he took a container of 2,500 kilos of coke into the harbor of Antwerp, Everybody will disappear from your party immediately <laughs> and run away. Well, you don't know my my friends then, Peter. Okay, well that's <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, okay. Good, good. Because I just wanted to end the interview. <laughs> no, no, please don't go. Please don't go. We're far from done with you. Yeah, you know the the audience that we're addressing right now is international. So the people who are following me are from all over the world: New Zealand, uh, Australia, U.S., Switzerland, and you know they tend to think Netherlands Valhalla of mm. drugs. Everything is available. Everything is legal. And you know, there's, um, it's, there's, it's just wrong to have this misinformation going around. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to correct that. So it's nice that you already introduced the topic about uh, the illicit sources of uh, soft drugs, because we can draw multiple parallels between cannabis and um, uh, psychedelics, for example. Uh, you know that cacti, mushrooms, all of them, they're sold in, in, in uh -huh. uh, smart shops, just like mm -hmm. cannabis is, small, is sold uh -huh. in coffee shops, but they're all sourced from illegal uh, sources. So I, we just it's just so difficult to put that into order in our brains. Mm -hmm. But you have been in this field for already f more than five years working on this project, can, uh, project Say. Yeah. Maybe you can help us understand, well, how does this make sense? I know you already gave an indication, no, it doesn't really make sense. Yeah. And that's why. Now, yeah, first of all, it's good to hear you have this international audience. I hope they all uh, will, will understand my uh, fat uh, English uh, with the Dutch accent. Um, and, and secondly, I, I understand your question like this. First, you made an assumption, which is that in, in Holland, all drugs are available. 
And I think you're right there. Eh? All drugs are available. But the assumption also um, basically uh, tells that there may be in other countries all drugs are not available. And that I don't believe in. I think drugs are available in every country in the world, in every quantity, uh, uh, in, in varieties. Uh, um, and probably also in the amount of uh, that is... Uh, Demanded, where the demand is from uh, the people. And in countries where, where uh, people are in bad social uh, circumstances, like poor and hungry or have no ho good housing and live in sheds, etc., actually the drug use is higher because people use drugs to self-medicate. Um, but yes, in the Netherlands, this is uh, uh, widely available. And it creates, uh, of course, a, a problem for society in healthcare. Not so much cannabis. We have around 12 to 15,000 people who, who are, according to the institutes who follow this, addicted to cannabis. So it is also very important when you legalize cannabis that you put extra effort in addiction care. And that also makes it possible. Because in my plan, I want to tax cannabis with one euro per gram in, in duties so that will deliver 560 million and my proposal is to spend that completely on uh, addiction care for all kinds of addictions. Beautiful. So um, the other drugs, um, of course, the question is more difficult. Uh, how to, you cannot just legalize hard drugs or smoking crack or even psychedelics just like that. Hè? The, the rooms I understand, but I'm not so much an, an, an specialist on this. But are, I understand uh, legal at this moment in the Netherlands. Uh, the mushrooms itself not. It, this is also very interesting, if you allow me to share a little bit. Yeah. Uh, in 2008, so until 2008, magic mushrooms were legal. Then they stopped being legal. So in 2008, they stopped being legal. However, magic truffles, truffles. are still I legal. meant that, yeah, I meant but that. This is the interesting point. The, the only difference between these two substances is the visual aspect. So one mm. is black, one is white, one grows under the ground, one grows on top of the ground. Mm. If I were a mag magic mushroom, I would feel terribly discriminated against. So even there we have all these little discrepancies and all these things that are not completely aligned no. with respect to the system. Now there you have one of the first points, I think, when we are discussing this subject, what always annoys me a lot, and that is that uh, the uh, science and investigation and research after drugs has been tempered so much with in, in the sense of uh, the, the laws in all countries. Uh, maybe tempered sounds too active or a little bit illegal, but I mean, there has been a, a lot of dampening the, the um, research after drugs. And I think that's the first thing that is wrong. Eh? It should be so that uh, just like with big pharma, eh, that, that uh, at least the governments would allow and motivate a lot of research after drugs. What do they do? What is the effect? How does a gateway drug work? So where do we have to warn, etc. And the, the, the stigmatization has also led to, to uh, make the research less uh, available. Uh, in a lot of countries it was forbidden, like so in the United States of America. Remove the stigma on, on all of this. Now, so I first I even become more concrete. I first say make sure that any form of research that people who are able to do research and ask a permission for it is going to be allowed under certain uh, rules and regulations. And be very wide and warm and welcoming 
for research after drugs, uh, their, their potential uh, psychological effect, uh, the addiction care that is necessary, etc. That is where it starts. And uh, the second thing is that I feel that if you want to regulate hard drugs in the future, which is something that has my interest, but I'm not uh, a, a proposing this or I'm not uh, an advocate of it yet, because I think another thing is that we have to educate, educate and educate. So we also have to see that when this ever would happen, because it might be necessary to stop the uh, increasing um, way of how we give criminals a uh, method to earn money, uh, because we basically with illegal drugs, we give criminals a lot of possibilities to earn money. If we ever want to fight this in the right way, we should make sure that we also address it at the user side so that we put in a lot of education for people how uh, they have to do this, but also how the people who distribute this are going to be educated. I cannot agree with you more. And this is exactly where, you know, the mission of this podcast is aligning with exactly the vision that you're describing right here. It is, well, on, uh, of course, education, education, education. And I'm sounding very socialist right now, uh, coming from a Soviet Union country where Lenin raised okay, us okay. With, this, with this thing. Are you from the time of Lenin? You look yes. a lot younger, by the way. <laughs> I'm, but, uh, a pioneer. I'm from the time of Brezhnev. So <laughs> You look a lot younger as well. So uh, thank you for the compliment. Um, and I'm all about, com uh, you know, education, communicating, but doing so in a factual, non-biased way, and which is, I feel, the rest of the world right now uh, trying to conflate a little bit about this subject. And um, uh, specifically, when, when we're trying to portray psychedelics, as, I'm, I'm against mass consumer consumerism. I'm against pharma and putting the psychedelics into appeal or MDMA, which is highly addictive substance, into a medication which is to be given to people and then not telling them, wait a second, but MA is... But pharma is, is pharma is distributing a lot of psy no, yeah, psychedelics, yeah. I say, because ba basically the uh, b uh, big pharma is, of course, uh, responsible for all kinds of uh, drugs which are legal, which is fentanyl, oxycodone, uh, all kinds of other uh, downers and uppers, which all have in a certain way uh, the effects that uh, pain, pain uh, relieving or sleeping better, etc., that people try to find in certain other drugs, also like in cannabis, for instance, yeah. uh, and, uh, but also in other drugs. And, and uh, as I well uh, remember, basically MDMA ecstasy was developed to help veterans who came back from the Vietnam War because they were, yes, exactly. So, so, um, so uh, in, in that way, it is interesting to see this big split between how we assume that Big Pharma can distribute all these kind of uppers and downers in millions of uh, uh, capsules while uh, there is this enormous strict policy against other uh, uh, drugs. That is already a strange uh, uh, yeah, situation. I cannot agree with you more. And I have a very interesting piece of history that connects the Dutch royal house to the ban on psychedelics. Do you mind if I share it with you? Because our no, audience no, don't know it yet, and it no. might take a little time to explain I it a like little bit. like to learn. So it's 1966. And uh, princes, at, at this point, the context is as follows. So all hard drugs are prohibited. Mm -hmm. Hard drugs are cocaine, amphetamine, mm -hmm. uh, heroin, etc. Mm -hmm. 
all other forms of substances or psychedelics are legal at this point and soft drugs as well. Now it's February 1966. Princess Beatrix is announcing that she's going to marry Prince Klaus. And uh, there's this counterculture movement called Provo who hears about this and goes into a complete panic and starts a massive uh, series of protests and riots um, against this wedding. On uh, the uh, you know assumption or the, the, the allegedly connection uh, that Prince Klaus had with the Hitler youth. So the form that they choose, the form of protest that they choose is also interesting. They start to spread rumors that they're going to give the horses which carried the carriages of the princess LSD cubes. So what does the media do? And this is, you're going to like this part because of the book that you wrote. The media sees all of this and says, hey, great opportunity for us to capitalize on this mass hysteria. So next morning, all tabloids are painted with headlines that are saying, LSD is making you crazy. Now, government is watching all of this in complete panic and thinking, must protect the, the queen. And uh, hearing all these rumors, hearing all this hysteria, seeing all this crisis in media, what do they do? They decide that very evening to place a ban on LSD and along with it, all other soft drugs and psychedelics. Now, let me start first with the following. I myself are uh, completely... Um, uh, uh, far away and also uh, uh, ag against uh, complot theories for, <laughs> for one reason, only already, and that is when there would be a complot, so many people would know about it mm. that there will always one person who is the whistleblower and will tell, well, this has happen happened. Uh, so in that sense, I, I am uh, nou ja, taking this with a little grain of uh, salt. Um, secondly, I must tell you, I'm a Republican in nature, so I'm not uh, in, in favor of a monarchy in a country. So therefore, I do not follow at all um, what is going on in, in the, the uh, monarchistic uh, environments, whatever it is, marriages, childbirth, etc. Mm. You know, it does not have my interest. So I know very little about all this. Uh, and, and thirdly... I would say that uh, I think that there is no um, way that uh, horses uh, could have had uh, LSD without uh, throwing everything into a big uh, chaos. And that did not happen. So this story goes uh, in the air and is a little bit of nonsense. I wouldn't be so quick to say that. But even uh, because they were the, uh, the horses eventually didn't get the LSD because the ban wasn't. Oh, okay. You didn't say that to me and I never heard this whole uh, story. But I think it is a load of crap. <laughs> okay. Well, whether or not the story is a lot of crap, that you could be very right. I don't know. And no, but nobody, none of us will know if this is a myth or, or a truth. The point is that the ban on uh, on psychedelics was placed in a, uh, a very quick form. So it took really a short period of time to introduce the ban, uh, even though we had all sorts of sources, research and medical evidence, which showed to the contrary. So it showed the benefits of all these psychedelics and all these soft drugs. And yet here we are 60 years later, almost 60 years later, trying to undo that ban and trying to prove again. And you know, I, I cannot count how many millions of euros have been spent on the research trying to prove that that ban is not necessary and trying to legalize those psychedelics again. So for me, it's not so much about whether it's a nice story. 
uh, it's not so much about whether it's true or not. For me, it's about how, uh, how quick we are to take decisions which are not always grounded in factual truth. And the question is? And uh, you know the question. No, no, seriously, I know, don't know the question at this moment. So let's, let's think about your Etten Lure case, mm -hmm. Project C, mm -hmm. just a year or two ago. Yeah. Where you tried to uh, open a legal yeah. uh, factory for cannabis. No, well, the, 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 there was a, an, an experiment which has been introduced by the Dutch government to to uh, legalize uh, cannabis uh, production in uh, ten uh, for ten cities and around sixty coffee shops, so that they do not have to purchase the uh, cannabis anymore from. Uh, yeah, in a, in a criminal sense, yeah, but uh, but can can do it via the the uh, growers who are legalized, and uh, you could um, uh, enter to this experiment by sending in a application for the permit, uh, which around 40, 44 companies did among the company that I made with a GP and a politician, and uh, you had to write out your whole plan. And we had an excellent uh, plan, and and we also were the only one of the 44 who already bought. A, a, um, a grower firm. It was made for uh, blueberries, um, but um, healthy. Yeah, uh, very big blueberry uh, um, uh, growing uh, plantation, or how you say that in English. And um, th this was already done. And then we were uh, we got a negative advice from the mayor of Ettenleur, the city where we wanted to go. And this negative advice was because we were so far in organizing everything because we thought. That if you do this in a in a nation where people want to have full control over the production and distribution of drugs, and if you legalize the soft drugs, then it must be 100% perfect in order. Everything must be very detailed and organized properly. And uh, so we did. And because of that, there was also a dialogue with the people around that place, which was in a very far away area, uh, the, the, of course not in uh, a housing uh, project. And uh, the people there uh, 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 sh sh showed a safety feeling. So, so they were, for instance, afraid that because of having a legal uh, cannabis plant in their uh, neighborhood, uh, this would attract criminals because they want to rob this place. And then they would at the same time also rape their daughters. So, so that kind of arguments came, and Rumors? yeah, and these these area, yeah, now well, these these arguments were of course anyhow faulty if it is about a decision to to let uh, uh, a company because you had to go to a lottery because the, everybody asked you there were only ten places uh, uh, is faulty to use because. You know, it is not about feelings because the feelings are everywhere the same. And in that area, it's an orange area in the Netherlands anyway. for crime on drugs. So it means that they have already many illegal um, the cannabis plantations in that uh, area. Yeah. So, so that's what would create, if there is any, <laughs> any chance on any criminal activity, the illegal farms are creating that, yeah. not a legal farm with a very good security plan. Yeah. So yeah, so for that reason, there was a negative advice to the minister and the minister then didn't allow us to be part of the lottery. So we went into uh, uh, appeal with uh, in the court and, uh, uh, well, you don't call it an appeal, but, but uh, uh, we, we, we basically fought the decision into the court and it took two years but we won that uh, uh, case 
And now we are appealing in uh, the uh, high court for these kind of cases called the Council of the State uh, um, with the king at the head. And, and um, we, we are appealing this decision now because uh, the, the uh, well, uh, judges in the uh, lower court said that there would be no uh, consequence. They, they uh, ruled for us, but they said there's no consequence, so we cannot go back into the experiment. It and didn't help you. No, it was a, a typical virus uh, victory. Yeah? Um, uh, and um, it also it meant that we still didn't got the damages of three years of work and, and all costs that we made. Uh, and that was not an entrepreneurial risk because the entrepreneurial risk is there when you are not managing to be uh, the, the winner in the lottery, but not when you are, have been excluded for wrong reasons. So if I understand it correctly, uh, in my own grandma words, I'm going to summarize it a little bit. Um, Project C, trying to produce legal cannabis yes. and uh, regulate the production of cannabis, uh, requested a permit from the government uh, yes. Uh, to yes. to stabilize it. 12,000 kilos a, a year. Yeah. To produce 12,000. Many varieties. Many varieties of uh, legal. Also, yeah, also, uh, yeah, and, and also for hashish. Yeah. yeah because that was. And you so. were uh, forbidden or not granted that permit. Forbidden is the wrong word. Uh, so, so we denied. were we were not we were denied to partake to partake. In the uh, in the lottery of companies, uh, so uh, based on gut feelings and uh, actually mass hysteria, people may, un, who who didn't have the factual information, protesting against your uh, establishment. Yeah, and 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 the mayor of that town uh, then then basically put her ears to that and and came with uh, uh, the wrong advice. Although she, it was a female mayor, she herself admitted that we had a very good uh, plan yeah. Yeah. which was an, a fantastic case and i i have a deep compassion for you because i know personally one of well you don't have to worry about compassion is not the right uh, um, is not the right word uh, yeah. you win a few and you lose a few yeah uh, and that is uh, as a lawyer you are used to that but of course everybody everything should be in the rule of law so when that has been violated then you can go to court and luckily that's uh, in the netherlands all properly organized hmm. Yeah, and now you were uh, proven right. But what can you do with all of that? Yeah, of course, you're going back to court and of course, you're going to continue. Well, we got a thousand euros uh, damage yes. payment <laughs> because uh, the court dealt with our case too late. So it took them two years to deal with the case, which I'm is, of course, cynical, but I know very how much strange. Work that is, right? Yeah, well, the thousand euros was the cost of uh, the printing paper that we used during the uh, project. Which is not unimportant because, you know. <laughs> those are those are also uh, good to have covered. Um, yeah, well, I know the partner with uh, whom you work closely. He's been he's participated not in one but a several psilocybin uh, assisted uh, sessions with us. Um, and uh, you also you are you are a CEO. And a question to you as a CEO: If I invited you and one of your teams for a team building event or psilocybin assisted methods. What would be your answer? That I'm too busy uh, for that and that I'm <laughs> having a lot of uh, law, law cases. Okay. Uh, but if you had the time... Uh, normally I uh, uh, available uh, for things like that because, again, it starts all with the right information, the right research, the right education 
uh, of people and the right plans to uh, when you want to go towards a situation where drugs are legalized or regulated. Mm. Uh, the idea of just uh, balking around that drugs should be legalized is idiot. Uh, you have to uh, progress with a very fundamental plan. Uh, that is why we worked three years uh, on, on the uh, plan of, of the uh, Project C, as it is called. Mm -hmm. uh, and we even had the, the um, uh, environmental uh, interest there to say, okay, 30% of our profit should be spent on uh, improving uh, addiction care, uh, the area, projects in the area for giving youth and, and adolescents back uh, uh, the Back public the space, society, because yeah. the public space has been taken from young people. Young people are nowadays supposed to sit in a very little flat, go study in again a very little flat for which they have to pay 800 euros a month. Yeah, yeah and and uh, the the public space has been actually taken away from them. And extracurricular uh, events in the Netherlands are are very little. So so we we uh, I, I think. That should have been improved also with the money that would have been provided by by uh, legalizing soft drugs. Giving back to the society, yes. to the commission. Um, yeah, not just in content, also in form. Beautiful. Um, Peter, one last question. And, uh, you know, this podcast is uh, all about the I or the self. I call it the most self-centered, cynically, huh? sarcastically, I call it the most self-centered hour of the week. Um, and I would be remiss to have you on this interview and not ask you um, about who Peter is, who is the I behind Peter. And if I may start with a quote uh, from Playboy that I recently read, but also in other uh, newspapers, um, I would like to go back to 2021, which you call Anus Horribilis. And uh, you, 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 you're quoted saying things like you cried, you scream and you shouted that you felt you felt terrible. It was a difficult year. And I leave it up to you whether or not you want to open or to speak about some of the events and the tragic um, events that took place that year, which caused you to feel so sad. Uh, however, my question is, well, first of all, incredible well, incredible that so many things can happen in one year because it wasn't one friend, it was two friends that you lost. And uh, secondly, where are you on your integration process? Where are you on your processing of your grief now two years later? Yeah, this all has, has been passed. Now I've said a lot already uh, because the people keep on uh, well interested in my well-being, I, I uh, noticed. Uh, but uh, now it goes uh, quite uh, well. Uh, and I, I have said in an interview uh, some weeks already ago that I mean, I accepted the situation as it is now. And I know, for instance, that my friend uh, Peter Hardevries, yeah, that I always carry him with him. And as long as you carry somebody with him, with you, he's there. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, it, it goes well with me. Thank you very much, interest, Ina. Mm -hmm. The only thing you do have to do later on is take the illegal uh, mushroom. Or maybe it's just one of Albert Heijn from my table away, because this is a law firm and there should not be any illegal substances on the table. Definitely take it with me. Um, yeah, Peter Erdefries was not just a friend for you. It was all, he was also a coach, but he was also a muse. So um, I can imagine that um, a lot of inspiration and a lot of love remains in your heart for him. 
and also, uh, am I uh, revealing a secret if I say that there is a podcast coming, Crime de la Crime? Oh no, because it already started on the 1st of uh, August. It is uh, Crime de la Crime, actually, because it is a a playful on uh, Crème de la Crème. Um, but but uh, my uh, the colleague uh, uh, lawyer uh, with whom I do this, he, he says he's from The Hague. And in The Hague, they have a specific accent. And in his accent is uh, crème de la crème. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that podcast is on, ongoing now. It's already online. And you can find it on Spotify. Yeah. So. I will add the link so people can find you. Of course, yeah. they can already find you, but it's much easier this way. Thank you, Peter. Um we it's have, in Dutch, by the way, yeah? so not for your international... It's, uh, uh, it's not just, my audience is not just international. I think 60, 60% are Dutch. So there's quite a, quite a few people who would be interested. And actually, I noticed that uh, interviews in Dutch are doing much better than the international uh, interviews, but that's a different uh, subject. Thank you very much for your wisdom, for your words, for your time and participation. We have a tradition and... Uh, you may find it a little bit annoying, and that is to leave the the podcast with a question for the next participant. Even though you don't know him or her, you don't know who will be interviewed. Any question. It can be as crazy as you want. We're doing a bit of a lingo uh, game here. Now, I would like to ask the next participant of your podcast if he or she believes that uh, punishment in uh, jail for longer than two years will still have any effect of the improvement of the person detained itself. So that question uh, should be answered then. Wow, that's going to be a mind uh, boggler. (laughs) Thank you, Peter. Um, And uh, it was a pleasure getting to know you better. Thank you. Have a good day.